Stories Unlocked is a podcast for everyone and anyone. Each week, hosts Ari George and Selena Nguyen have open and honest conversations with key personalities aimed to inspire, educate and entertain listeners acting as a conduit between everyday people and names of individuals we all aspire to be. Listen to our podcast with an open mind as you prepare to take notes, laugh, cry and feel inspired to be the best version of yourself. This week, our special guest is a hardworking man who brings with him a rich cultural background and a love for Lebanese cuisine. He grew up in a small village in the north of Lebanon, a country that has been plagued by war and conflict for much of its history. But despite the challenges, he was able to escape the hardships of war and start a new life in Australia. This has had a profound impact in influencing his entrepreneurial mindset and innovative business endeavours. With over 20 years of experience within the business world, He's always up for a good challenge. So sit back and relax as we delve into the captivating story of the man himself, John Gibron. And we are live. John Gibron, thank you for coming out. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, we actually had it, uh, yourself requested uh, to come on by a few individuals. Everyone uh, kind of seems to want to, to wanna know your story. So thank you for coming. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Ari, for having me. Well, let's get right into it. Tell us, growing up, as far as you can remember, tell us, how, how was it growing up? Growing up in a little village north of Lebanon, uh, we remember beautiful days, amazing uh, nature. Um, Lebanon, childhood, shoveling your way to school, through the snow, um, having the holiday season, waiting for your relatives to come and visit from the cities. We actually lived in the village all year round. Um, it was hardship, but we didn't know about it. We were kids. We just created our own little environment and played and and just lived life to the max. It was amazing. Yeah, really nice living in the village. Um, we grew up. Uh, as a very tight-knit family. Lost dad when I was six um, through travels. He died through an, on a plane with uh, pneumonia. Um, ended up uh, tra- having to travel to Australia with my mother and seven siblings. And uh, yeah, it was a tough, it was uh, during the war, when the war wow. broke out, yeah. So tell us what exactly happened. Um, how old were you when uh, you made that move over to Australia? T- t- tell us about it. That would be a pivotal moment in your life. We started uh, travelling at I, my age of nine years old. We had to catch a boat to uh, Cyprus because the embassy was there. As you imagine, in the, in the war, there's no embassies. or We had to go by ship through Juni and to get to Cyprus. It was a rough time. It was winter, rough seas. It was pretty horrible. Wow. And, you know, we, we talk about, you know, yourself you know, moving, jumping on a boat to Cyprus. Tell us what was going on um, in your family um, then. Uh, what part of Lebanon uh, was this all happening in? Tell us about that. The war broke up in the in the cities of obviously of, of Lebanon, um, we had to way, make our way through uh, the ruggedness of the war. I guess um, we yeah we we went on the boat. We got to Cyprus. Mum rented a house. Tried to get the embassy applications through the embassy and everything else to go through. Then we had to travel back to Lebanon, then back to Cyprus again, then back to Lebanon before we've been granted visas. This all happened within two years. Wow. Um, yeah, we, by the time I got to Australia, I was 11 years old. Not a word of English, hardly any education because we we're probably two or three years with no schooling. It was tough, but uh, I guess makes a better man out of you. You know, the harder it is, the, you know, the better you become. No doubt so much ad- adversity with that. And um, you know, you're 90 years old um, and you're virtually the man of the house. Um, at that time and tell us you had a lot of fear within you or were you just kind of young and just going with the flow to how close did you get to to, to all the action 
Look, um, we, yeah, definitely, we're young. Um, we feared, obviously, going through. We've never actually been down to the cities until we actually left to come to Cyprus or to come to Australia. Um, all our life was in the village. Um, that's all I ever remember. Coming to the city, it's like being an alien in, a, in another country. Like, it's just, like, unbelievable. But... Um, Coming to Australia was a very, very interesting, um, no English, no education. They threw us in a special um, special English school. They taught you English, which was fantastic. Not that um, we were there for long, then they threw us in high school. By the age of um, 15, 16, I, was, I left school. Again, still not much education. Went into the workforce. Uh, you know, when we landed here, this is a bit of a funny story. Not a funny story, but a, a tough story. Uh, we had to get jobs. We, we, you know, no matter how old you are, we had to work and help mum and try and achieve that everyday household that people have and help mum. No matter whether you made a dollar or two dollars or five dollars, you just had to come home and give it to mum and mum saved it and raised us and just it was a hard it was superwoman my mother it's just unbelievable and um yeah we all lived i sold newspaper my very first job uh paper boy uh they probably don't exist anymore and you walk around punch bowl blowing the whistle trying to sell some paper for the news agency and uh someone would come out of the front door on a saturday morning at sydney morning herald mate so I'd go and pick up every single bit of paper, put it on my hand, and I'd walk up to him and I'd say, there you go, sir, which one do you want? Like, literally out of sign language, not verbal. Wow. So he'd put 20 cents in my palm, take the paper he wants, and off I go again. And I sold paper for two days like that. Yeah. And how old were you? So you, you've arrived in Australia, um, and was it to Punchbowl? Yeah, definitely, yeah. And... Uh, you, how old were you when you, when, you st- when you got your first job? I was literally three months into the country. I, I started work uh, as a paper boy and it went from there to KFC, working for KFC. It's just non-stop during schooling, during any time you just had to get a job. You had to make uh, ends meet, I guess. And coming here, uh, did you make friends? What were you, what were you kind of interested in, um, you know, growing up? I mean, it couldn't have been all work and all school. Were you into sport? Uh, to tell us about all that. Look, um, I did what the neighbour's son did. I became friends with him. If he played soccer, I played soccer. If he played football, I, played, I tagged along. We had our skateboards and we'd just, you know, um, run around shopping centres on our skateboards. You know, we were good boys and we just sort of, what we did was we lived to work, basically. And I left school at year 10, not having a trade. It was very hard times in the 80s uh, in Australia. Um, couldn't get a job anywhere other than little bits and pieces here and there. I was, uh, it was a service station across the road. We used to fill up petrol for people. This is before the self-serve used to come in. Um, and we, you know, we worked in anything and everything, I guess. It, was, it wasn't easy. And then I, uh, when I wanted to get into a trade, no one would give me a start. I wanted to become a panel beater. Loved cars, loved working with my hands. So I just went door knocking, no one would give me a job. And then I offered myself to a bloke and I said, listen, mate, I'll work for nothing. Just allow me to be in your panel shop. Let me work. Let me help you. I don't want no money. And I didn't have a car. Couldn't drive. I was too young. So I'd catch a bus every day, go and come back and work five days a week. Built a little bit of experience. Went to the next bloke and I said, mate, I'll work anytime, seven days a week if you want. Pay me whatever you want. 80 bucks a week. No problem. Something, it's good. Keep going until I get some more experience. By the time I was a second year, I was getting a fourth year 
wage. I became so good at it because when you're hungry and you want hunger for success, you succeed. And it's very, very important that you chase your dream. That's what life is all about. There you go. And you, you're obviously, um, again, you know, working multiple jobs, very hungry, hustling. Do you think uh, coming from uh, war-torn Lebanon, uh, your experience had, had, had an impact of coming here and, and, and impacting that hunger? Most definitely, Ari. Yeah, definitely. Um, you, you've, uh, you know, maybe I might have skipped a little bit. When I was a kid, Dad died. We had to go out and work. And when they pruned the trees and all that sort of stuff, we so we started it at the age of seven, six, seven years old. We'd go pick up the sticks that are under the trees and things like that. It's, it's heartbreaking to some people, but to us, it was the way of life. That's what we had to do to survive. Um, there's no benefits from where I come from. Zero benefits. And what you grow, you eat. What you don't grow, you you go out and you source from nature and that's probably the best experience one can ever have it's a natural experience it's something that it's grown within you and you you use it you use it at later on in life which is fantastic it's it's something that it's a survival um tool i guess beautiful yeah so your panel beating how old were you then um, I was 16, 17 when I started panel beating, yeah. Sure. So you're 16, 17, uh, you're, you're working uh, for, for, for minimal wage, um, panel beating. Um, tell us, where'd that lead you on to? I, um, I kept jumping jobs for more money. Uh, when you become good at what you do, people pay you overs to, to have you. Uh, by the age of fourth year... I, I I used to work day for a boss and night for myself at, at home fixing up things for people and trying to earn a little bit extra money, I guess. Um, by then, at the age of uh, 20, I was a fourth-year apprentice on my way out into a tradesman. Uh, we had saved enough money to buy our own little panel shop from a, a chap in Greenacre, which we bought. My brother was a mechanic. I was a panel beater. And the younger brother was also panel beater upcoming. So we ended up buying this little panel shop in Greenacre and we started working in cars. And um, it was so um, it was so difficult for a 20-year-old to for people to trust. Yeah. So if you, say, a 50-year-old or a 60-year-old rocked up with a damaged car, he's talking to a young kid, like, what's 20 years old? Yeah. I, I looked so young and people wouldn't believe me that I was the boss. He... I'm running this panel shop. So I lost a lot of business. So I, uh, I went, I started thinking to myself, what do I have to do to, 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 to make these guys trust me? Yes. So I grew a moustache. I grew a moustache. And ever since then, the people have been saying, okay, this guy seems to know what he's talking about. Yeah, very good. <laughs> I wish I could group. do the same. <laughs> but um, it, was, it was quite... Uh, fascinating how things work out sometimes. And we're talking 1980s um, out in Punchbowl? Uh, Greenacre, yeah. Greenacre. Greenacre. Tell us, was it, uh, was it Aussies? Was it Lebanese? Was it, what, 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 what culture was uh, it? No, there was a lot of um, Australians and, uh, and a lot of ethnic sort of Italians, Greeks, Lebanese. Yeah, definitely. And, and how accepting, um, you know, were, uh, you know, the Australians um, towards, I mean, we're talking about a 20-year-old person who's come from Mourntown, Lebanon. How, how was it back in the uh, 1980s? Um, schooling was super tough, super tough. Um, we got uh, bullied in a big way. Um, it wasn't very pleasant at all. You know, teachers made fun of you. Kids made fun of you. Couldn't speak English. Um Wog was the main word on the menu, I guess. Um, we didn't understand much, but, you know, we had other Lebanese kids. They used to translate to us what's going on. Uh, it was pretty ugly, pretty ugly. But, um, yeah, we got picked on. We got, you know, bullied, as I said. And, um, 
but uh, life goes on, you know, you just move on and stand up, dust yourself and off you go again. No doubt. I'm hearing a lot of character building mm. you know, through, through all these years. And as a panel beater, um, what was your kind of clientele there? Was it just like that little manese that no. would stick or would it be everybody? No, we, um, we did some um, companies, a lot of company cars back then. Um, uh, we did private work, we did insurance work, we did a lot of different work. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was in it for about, uh, about six or seven years. I didn't, didn't like it that much, to be honest. I enjoyed working on cars, but I just didn't like the industry. And it just gotten harder and harder, and I just wanted to go and excel. I couldn't find myself. I was like a V8 spinning in mud. I just needed to go, and I wasn't growing. I wanted to make some money. I was hungry. I was super hungry. Like, we were given nothing. Uh, Self-made uh, in the sense where if I want something, I have to go get it myself. No one brought me anything on a silver platter. Yeah. Um, not not just me, my whole my siblings, all of us. So basically, we we worked for what we have, and uh, it's a good feeling, Ari. It's a fantastic feeling to be able to achieve, to reach out and, and say I've got that. No doubt, and and, and doing it all yourself. So, yeah. uh, at what year did you kind of finish? How old were you when you finished up in the panel beating? side of things um i was in my probably 32 or 33 went on to building childcare centers and wow uh car yards went into car yards different style of work with cars and then you know uh visited lebanon for the first time after i left lebanon 20 years later so i was at the age of 30 i went to lebanon I I was super, how can I say, I've gone from being not a word of English to being super Aussie-minded. Couldn't listen to Lebanese music. Uh, all my partners were Australians and I lived the Aussie-style life. And uh, by the time I visited Lebanon, to be gone, uh, when, I, when I went to Lebanon for the first time, I fell in love with the culture, I fell in love with the music, I fell in love with... Everything, like, to me was, wow. You, you, you leave it, you left it when you were a young kid. Everything yeah. was so, and then you go back there, it's the, just just the emotions just really open up. And um, I had to, it was something to drive me to, to, to go back to Lebanon, to be quite honest with you, was my father. I kept dreaming of my father, and I just needed to go visit his burial. And by the time I, when I went there and I, I did what I did, I visited the burial, and I was quite, relieved um i started experimenting experiencing sorry the food the the culture and everything else i came back to australia and i thought to myself i gotta do it i gotta do a lebanese restaurant wow um the lebanese food the variety of food the the village food the the the, the authentic food doesn't exist yeah I mean, it did. I shouldn't say that. But it did, maybe, but not to the extent to what I have done today. And, and whilst we're there, um, you've gone to Lebanon. You've been inspired. You've you've got all that uh, those emotions. They're, they're overwhelming. Did you have any experience in hospitality? Did you have any experience in? Um, or, or was it cooking something that, that you love doing? Um, tell us about that, pre-going to Lebanon. As a profession, absolutely zero. Nothing. The only thing I enjoyed doing is helping mum scale the fish, stir the pot, things like that. You know, chopping maybe a bit of onion or tomato or whatever it may be in the kitchen giving her a hand but i always found myself as a kid in the kitchen with mum for some reason yeah not realizing the passion you have for food till later on in life um i just thought you know kitchen work was for women (laughs) at a younger age so you didn't sort of push yourself towards and you didn't have anybody to guide you through yes so um yeah no i i didn't have any 
zero experience when it came to, to restaurants. The only experience I've had is probably dining in restaurants over so many years. And I had a friend of mine who owns a very successful restaurant and I sat with him all, all these years, week in, week out, watching him, watching what he was doing. I was enjoying watching him. I thought, you know what, I can do this. Yeah. But, but having that, um, you know, I could understand that your, your mum would have been working quite hard um, all those years getting to Australia and so on to also um, support you guys. And again, was it just yourself? Uh, how many siblings did you have, sorry? No, we're... Um, mum came with five. Okay. We're eight. Okay. One was here already. She's the one who brought us out. Sure. Two were left in Lebanon. Okay. Um, yeah, but she had eight. Uh, sorry, she brought five siblings under the one roof. So we lived in a little two-bedroom unit in Punchbowl. And we all had to go out and do something and work and find something to do. Of course. To, to, to raise some funds to survive every week, yeah. And with your mum, was it she would just cook whenever she could uh, once or twice a week after work? Or was it something that, because I understand... Greek background myself, cooking's a big thing. The homemade yeah. cooking from the... We, we knew nothing else but home cooking. So that it was how often would your mum... Oh, daily. Daily. Oh, 100%. On top of all the work. Oh, 100%. Mum could not... How was she going to feed so many mouths? Yes. At a, at a, at a budget that doesn't exist <laughs> these days. You yeah. Know? And yeah. it was always that Lebanese culture. Oh, cooking. yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we, it's more the casserole style. Where not many people do do that in restaurants. We have different types of cuisines. So the, the casserole style is more from families and sharing, all that sort of stuff. And then you've got the mezza style and, you know, the upmarket Lebanese. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Now, that's beautiful. So um, you're back from Lebanon and um, you've been introduced to someone where you've met someone in, in the hospitality world that's kind of... No, um yeah, yeah, the, the, the friend of mine who uh, I've been sitting with for 10 years, uh, you know, he, he ran restaurants and you know, I'd go have lunch with him every now and then. And I just picked up the industry. But then I, uh, I really wanted to do some kind of a... I was too scared to do a whole restaurant as such and open yeah. up a, a big operation. So I wanted to do like a f street food uh, style restaurant, like a little sit down, but more takeaway, more easy, easy stuff to to make and just sell. Then I went to uh, to find the shop in my area, and I found a little place, and I thought, okay, how do I get through to this guy? Who owns it? Where do I start? This is in 20, 20, 2020 or twenty twenty one. So somehow I found who owns the pro the building, and I said to the bloke, I said. I said, look, you know, you got an empty shop. Would you sell it to me? He goes, son, I built these with my father. He was about 70 years old. I'll never forget him, Ron Swain. He's a gentleman. God bless him. I don't know if he's still around or not. But anyway, um, he said, son, I built these with my old man 55 years ago, and he was like 70. I said, okay, sell them to me. He goes, I own five shops. I said, five? I said, okay, I'll buy the five. And had nothing, nothing to my name. I, I, I just, I just chucked the, I, I had my house, but it was like, it was a big call. Massive. So, <laughs> and we're talking, is this the Mount Lewis? Yeah, Mount okay. Lewis, yeah, the five shops. So. You know, he goes, let me think about it. He come back to me and he says, okay, after about three months. He goes, I thought of it and... He had an envelope in his hand and I said, he goes, since I've spoken to you, one of the tenants approached me. But because you spoke to me first and I like your drive, I'd like to offer it to you first, although they offered me probably $200,000 more. That's rare. Super rare. That's why I'm saying to you earlier when I said he's a gentleman, that's why I meant he's a gentleman because he, he kept his word and he, you know, you don't find people like that. So he came to me with an envelope and he goes, before I give you this, I want $10,000 more than what the actual valuation says. 
to give to the agent who's looking after it. This is how humble this guy is. He's such a nice guy. So I opened it and it was 200000 less than what the lady offered him. And he shook my hand and I had to go find the funds. And, um, yeah, it's a beautiful story. And that's when I thought, okay, now that I've got five shops, I can do a restaurant. <laughs> that's crazy because I'm, I'm yeah. hearing you've gone from uh, panel beating and then you went into construction of childcare centres and now hospitality. Now, jumping from industry to industry, did you not have fear of going into the unknown? Harry, fear didn't exist in my lifestyle, in my world. When you come with nothing, uh, you're not afraid to jump in the deep because you need to get across. And um, I did not fear anything when it came to business. When it came to business, I've done so many crazy things that will be here all night trying to tell you what they are. But no, I, I, I don't fear. And even till today, I still do things and just take on more than I can probably chew, but I like it. I love the pressure. I love the drive. So, so here we are. You've, um, you've just agreed to take five buildings, shops in Mount Lewis. Correct. You've got to go fight. What was your next move? My next move, I did my calcs that I can rent four and occupy one. Yeah. And I thought, okay, if the four and what my little childcare business can pay for the mortgage, I can build this little business slowly. This is how my mind ticked. And that's exactly what I did. So it took me about 10 months to get it through council because I had a neighbour who didn't really want me there. But we fought through, we battled on, and we got it across. When we opened, we got smashed with people, like literally. like. And opening was so difficult. I delayed and delayed and delayed. I was so concerned about being uh, bombarded because of the talk out there about it. And back then in 2001, there wasn't this social media. There wasn't the things that are today that you can boost off a restaurant just with a click of a finger. You know, um, there was radio or newspaper and a word of mouth. So I banked on the word of mouth. Yeah. I've known you for a number of years. And uh, one thing that I do pick up about yourself is there's a gift of the gab when it comes to Don Gibran. Everyone knows John Gibran. And uh, I'm guessing that a lot of people already knew you in the area before you've opened, which is, is that right? It is right, Ari, because I, I was raised in Punchbowl, moved to Bankstown, Greenacre, and I've been within five kilometre radius from the day I come to Australia. And my business was in um, Greenacre, the panel shop, and then the childcare centre was in Greenacre and Punchbowl. And I always did things that are different from everyone else. So I was, all, I was always the talk of the town, if you like, or the community. Um, yeah, I built a name over the years. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the gift of the gap, I guess, it came naturally in the sense where um, I did the right thing by people. You know, you... you I'm not a salesman as such. I, 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 it just comes naturally from, from inside. Uh, you don't con people. You don't try and be somebody you're not. And when you be yourself, people respect you. No doubt. And uh, I can really relate to what you're saying. Um, I see the way you, you operate your venue. You, know, you walk in, every single table knows you. It's amazing. But... Uh, so what year is it? It's the uh, it's the grand opening of Gibran, and is that what you've called it? Yeah. Where does this name Gibran come from? Gibran is um, one. It's my surname, of course, and everyone should be proud of the name. Um, Gibran is also a very famous poet. He his name is Gibran Khalil Gibran, who uh, who wrote a lot of poetry, and he was very well known in Lebanon, and also he 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 has a He's long gone now, but they got a museum for him. You can go visit. And he was very well known in the States, and he died in the States, I believe. 
Um, so I thought, what better name than Gibran? It's not a very common Lebanese name. Uh, there's only a few families that I know that are called Gibran, and they say they're all linked. It's all the one um, uh, root. Beautiful. It's same tree. And uh, a lot of people know, uh, you know, kind of uh, Gibran is today, and we'll get into that. But when you open Gibran, was it how it looks today? Tell us how many did it seat. Tell tell us about this whole thing. Oh dear, Gibran. Gibran was nothing like what it is today. Maybe, maybe fifty percent of it, I guess. But yeah, we started off with a little kitchen where the bar is and tiny little place. And um, but I was quite content to achieve uh, such a such a restaurant in for the first time in my life i guess but uh yeah but for, from there we started growing a little bit here and there and expanding and upgrading if you like and you have to with restaurants you always have to upgrade yeah. of course and what, was your mum involved in yeah. in any of this tell us about that yeah my mother my sisters um yeah a lot of family uh i had one chef but uh yeah, he uh, he didn't know a great deal of, of Lebanese cuisine, and but then I was desperate to get someone in there, and, and my sisters and my mother and a few ladies from home, which I employed at the time, and uh, they made it work. And uh, I knew a fair bit, so I went in the kitchen at times and did what we had to do. Yeah, it was quite good. And yourself in the kitchen, what are you doing in the kitchen? I... I um, our food can be different from the north to the south. Um, I serve Lebanese cuisine to the way I grew up with it. And this is how I want it because this is how I remember it. And um, obviously people are, are liking this, my style of Lebanese cuisine. I'm not saying it changes dramatically, but it does change a little bit from north and south. No difference to probably Greek food or Italian food, or you know. Um, but uh, look, uh, you know, it, it was it was banked on housewives, mamas from home, my mother, my sisters, and and, and the couple of ladies used to sit down and make all the little pastries uh, on a Monday, which we used to close initially. And they used to sit down and make them all by hand. Until today, we're still doing exactly the same thing. Nothing's changed. From a food service perspective, um, you know, you're, you're serving hundreds of people. How, does, how do you commercialise these tedious Lebanese dishes? I know you do all those little dormades and the little intricate type dishes. How do you keep up? Ari, look, we... Um, we... We still, like as I said to you, we still hand make everything. Wow. Even the vine leaves, we still they still hand roll them. Cabbage leaves, the little kibbe, the little sambusek, all that little stuff, it's still handmade. The only thing difference is that she's got a dough machine that makes the pastry, for example. Because when you make it at such a volume, but then she gathers, she gathers all the stuff one morning, four or five hours, they'll do 500 of each. And we still, I like everything done by hand. As soon as you introduce machinery, it just throws it out a little bit. I won't like it. I don't, if I don't eat it, I don't feed it. That's my motto. And it has to be right. Very good. And, and tell us, after a year of opening, where, where were you at with Gibran? How was it looking? Look, um, it started off at the top like every other every restaurant i guess and back in the days it's the locals who came to you first the first three months it was it was bombarded and then it just sort of took a dive a little bit and then before you know it by the end of the year it's just started coming back and saying people saying oh my mate lives down the road he told us about it we're from campbelltown this guy and it just went on and on and on, and it just came from everywhere. And it's just started building up from there, word of mouth. Before you know it, you know, 22 years later, we're there, we're a household name, 
second generation feeding. You know, you've got kids who've got christened there now. They're coming with their girlfriends and boyfriends and having you know having their feed and enjoying their lunches or dinners. Unbelievable. It's it's overwhelming. Beautiful, and, and you've kept that authenticity. Yeah. So many, so many years later. Now, very good. And um, so, tell us about Jabram. Where is it right now? Gibran, uh, we are basically now uh, expanding to different cuisines. Uh, Gibran is the is basically the the stump, if you like. And then we're branching off to we've opened recently a Japanese during the pandemic when everyone was closing down. I was renovating to open up a Japanese restaurant. Um, you talk about fee. Zero fee, you know the world's collapsing with <laughs> coronavirus and everything else, and I'm renovating renovating a restaurant, which is. Um, we opened up the Japanese as well. We serve it with Gibran, so you can sit at Gibran and you can order Japanese or Lebanese. Uh, soon enough, uh, next couple of months, we're hoping to open up Padrino. Padrino is an Italian restaurant as well. Uh, another little boutique restaurant. It's going to be on the other side of Gibran. So again, you should be, you'll be able to order Lebanese, Japanese, Italian. And the reason behind all of that, Ari, is because we have such a huge cult following that I don't want people to be bored of my food. And I want people to come in two, three, four times a week and having to order different cuisines and different foods all the time, not be bored and not having to travel and not having to, if they're comfortable there, let them be there. No doubt. And, and I really get that feeling that the food uh, you produce is a reflection of your fearless personality of going from culture to culture. We uh, rewind back two years ago when I first met you. I remember I uh, met you, I think just maybe just before COVID, and I sat down with you and I said, um, you know, you're looking to market your Lebanese restaurant and you said, oh, I've got Japanese and Italian. And I remember I laughed. I said, oh, so you're Lebanese doing a Japanese. And you went, so you went, yes, is there anything wrong with that? <laughs> but now I'm hearing you, this whole life, it's all making sense. And in, in, uh, you know, the, the amount of adversity uh, you, you've overcome and uh, the fearlessness in all the decision-making uh, you've had throughout your life. Um, now it really, really is amazing. And looking back on your life, if there's one piece of advice you, know, you could give five-year-old little Drondra Brown, what would it be? Make it happen. Follow your dream. Follow your passion and make it happen. Nothing's impossible. Everything's possible. And if I could come from where, where we were born and how we come out here to be where I am today, I don't look at it as an achievement. I look at it as a, a way of life. That's, that's my life story. That's the way I do things. But I think everybody should must follow the dream and make their dream come true. It's, it's not, look, it's not easy. Nothing's easy. But it is possible. Sure. And um, no, that is beautiful. Um, you've always worked quite hard. You know, you've made a lot, a lot of things happen. But what is your definition of success? Look after the people who look after you. Um, to be quite honest with you, Ari, I, as I said, I've been here for 22 years and 22 years I've had probably one lady, her name is Wafa, she's my head chef. Um, and then there's other people who came with her and I've been here for many, many years. Like I'm talking about 15 years, 16 years. I have a lot of long-term, uh, staff 
And my head chef is the backbone of my business. She's the strength and the, 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 the women beside her as well. And they're unbelievable. They're the ones who actually helped me build this brand. And the reason why people ask me, why don't you come and open up in Wollongong, open up in, you know why? I can't replicate it. You just can't replicate a person. You might get them looking very close or whatever, but you can't replicate everything. The way he moves his hands, the way he does things, it's not possible. So the reason why I don't do what I've done, and I, I'm letting out my little secrets here, <laughs> and I branch out to other cuisines, is because it's easier to do Italian, although I'm not Italian, or Japanese, um, than it is doing another Gibran. Because what would destroy me is when people go to my other Gibran and say it's not the same as this, and that's something I don't like to do really does feel like it's more about the passion over the money. It really is. That's exactly what it is. It's, um, I'm there every day. If I'm not there every day, I'm somewhere else doing something to do with my business. And as you're probably aware of, we've just taken on a winery and we're happy to do another cuisine there and take it to another town where we're going to do something nice again and show the people there what it's all about. And um, you know, we're always chasing different weird and wonderful stuff, I guess. <laughs> no doubt about it. It really does feel, uh, you're showing me a, a bit of a project about an hour ago about you know, what you're doing. Uh, and you, you've got a knack for bringing you know, your, your culture in Lebanon uh, back to Australia, why do you think you, you've got so much of a, of a drive to do that? I mean, anybody who's been to Gibran understands that they get that nostalgia. They, they walk into that back room, you look around, it's like no other. That's, uh, that, that's, the, that's the comments that, that, that I get from anyone that goes there. Why do you feel so much you, you, you want to bring that, that same feel? I mean, it- it annoys me to see our food being twisted. Okay. I mean, some people won't like what I'm about to say. And I really... Let it, it out. These are raw conversations. <laughs> Let it out. And it doesn't bother me and I really don't care, to be honest, what they think. I will pour myself another drink. Yeah, that's, I, I like that. You come in style. <laughs> you come in style with your scotch. Um, I don't think I've ever seen you without a... A whiskey, a whiskey in my hand, though. Is, it, is, that, is that the choice of whiskey, too? It is, yeah. It's a Tasmanian whiskey from... Made of mine makes it, yeah. Um, yeah, when they want to modernise something and they want to... Look, it might work to the people who don't understand the cuisine. Yeah. So be it. I opened Gibran in the capital city of the Lebanese community. Do you agree? Agree. Punchbowl, Bankstown, Mount Lewis, this is like the hub. If I can satisfy all these Lebanese born here in Lebanese with their parents who migrated to Australia and mamas and and then if I got a dollar for every time I hear I will only eat this dish for my mum or you only. I won't eat anywhere else. I'll be a millionaire. Um again, it's not about money and it doesn't bother me in any shape or form. I wanna put the meal on the table the way it was made for me when I was a kid, the way I remember it. And Gibran banks on food that doesn't exist anymore in people's homes. All the offal, all the tripe, all the all the crazy things that people think, ooh, but when they come in and they look at it and they taste it, it just doesn't like we make a, a pot of tripe within first sit down it's gone. And people say, Why don't you always have it on the menu? Because I want you to get hungry for it. I want you to come and enjoy it. If it's on the menu every day, and it's not something easy to do, it's super difficult to do, uh, very time-consuming, and it takes hours to cook. But you tend to enjoy it more when you come in and you think, oh, wow, it's on the menu today. 
you know, things like that. And, and I don't like to uh, um, twist the food in any shape or form. You know, we, we just like to keep it as consistent as possible. And this is where we get our, um, our uh, what's the word, um, you know, when you're always consistent. And, and, it's your and, DNA. Yeah, exactly. So you, you come in and have the same hummus from 20 years ago till today, it's still the same, for example. And 10 years from now, Gibran, what, what's it look like? Solid. It's not going nowhere. Not going nowhere. No, no way. There's John Gibran Jr. He's around as well, so he's he's uh, he's now looking after the the winery um, and growing. It's yeah, no, look, uh, I got beautiful staff, as I said. It's uh, you know my chefs love working there and all my staff. It's just unbelievable. It's, yeah, no, we're not going anywhere. I'm happy to just to rock up and have a meal, have a drink, say hello to all my beautiful people. That's beautiful, and um, you know it, it's been a really amazing chat. Um, in this story, um, you know, you, you've overcome so much adversity you know, from from war torn Lebanon. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there was a lot more stories that went into when you made that hop to Australia. Those experiences that you had, you know, arriving to Australia, that hunger. Um, and, and, and having nothing and in working hard and creating something off that. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Because I know you've, you've been very humble on this podcast. <laughs> I know you, you've done a lot more. Um, and where do you see yourself in, in 10 years from now? What's the 10-year goal, if, if there's a goal? Um. I like to keep going as long as I can. I, I'm not one to say, right, I want to retire at this age. Retirement doesn't fit in um, anyway. So I, I would like just to overlook everything. Um, the aim is to be able to tackle new goals, find the new journeys, and keep going. Well, that fearlessness in you sounds like it really does live on. Definitely, I might look. To, to be honest with you, I, I would like to, um, to get my little Arak distillery going. Um, again, that's uh, that's the Lebanon DNA. Yeah, that's something I don't think anyone's ever taken. Now we're fully licensed um, to manufacture. Uh, we're hoping to go to production soon. Um, Branding, branding uh, Arad Gibran. Uh, again, that's something, you know, taking the brand to the next level. Um, it's quite interesting. It's, um, we have a beautiful, amazing produce here. Uh, the winery, Arak is based on grapes, and we have a beautiful winery called Kingsdale. Um, that's now up and coming, and uh, we're looking at doing, you know, restaurants, function centre, distillery, lot of different things on there uh cabins accommodation so we're hoping that we'll take the lebanese out of Bankstown and <laughs> give them more not just the, not just the lebanese out of Bankstown, but you know anybody and everybody who's a gibran uh, who likes to enjoy the, the what we do to come out and, and, and share with us what we're about to do uh over at kingsdale which is uh goulburn um municipality yeah and um, uh, f from what I can see, when you say uh, for the people to come out and share and have a bite to eat, what, what I really feel uh, with what you've built is you've not just built you know, customers. It's like a cult following. The way they talk about you, the way they talk about your food, your venue, you've hit the heartstrings. You've done something that not many other venues. Well, Larry, that's what it's all about. It's not when, you, when you're in hospitality, you don't do things for yourself. You do things for others. You do things for people to come and enjoy it. And, and you, you're supposed to be the entertainer. You're the one who... People come to me, no matter what mood I'm in, I have to put on a beautiful face, a happy face. People coming out to spend money with you, they want to have a good time. 
They want to be able to kick back, enjoy, relax, see the owner coming around and saying hello to them. Mate, everybody loves that. And till today, I still enjoy it. And I'm going to keep doing it for as long as I can. I love touching base with my clientele and my, my beautiful people who come over. And, and I want to take them to the next level. Go, bring your family, come out, have a look at the animals we've got, have a look around, enjoy the day. It's not too far, which is good. You know, Goulburn's not, not you know, hours, like it's probably an hour and 50 minutes. But uh, it's a good day trip, you know, things like that. I'm not trying to market it. I'm just trying to tell you what, <laughs> what we're doing. But, uh, but we have big dreams for it. And we're hoping to to take it to take that dream to to where I want it to be. There you go. Now to to wrap things up. You know, a, a, again, such a pivotal moment in, in your story. You know, was coming from that war torn uh, Lebanon. And uh, do you think you would have been the same person um, you are today if you just grew up? You know, in today's society in Australia being born here, think you'd be that same person? You think you'd have that same personality or what would be different? Look, I, I think we, we would be the same because the upbringing was there. The foundation was there. Mum did such a, an amazing job raising us, being a, 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 a widow um, and raising beautiful family and siblings and we're we're all still super tight-knit we still gather around her she's 93 years old we still gather around her god bless her and um and you know we we share beautiful moments and yeah we i think nothing would have changed if you're a if you grow within a family like that you're a good person you respect the family lifestyle and the families and it's just it's just something you can't take away from somebody you know, but to answer your question, yeah, I think we would be where we are today and who we are today, yeah, definitely. It is absolutely beautiful. Well, that was an, an amazing, uh, amazing chat. Uh, once again, the scotch is great. Thank you. Kesa. Brandon Custard. What is it, Kesa? Kesa. Kesa. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you yeah. once again. And, um, you know, you, you can, uh, for those listening, if you want to know more about Trebron, uh, the location is exactly... 175 Waddle Street, Mount Lewis. Beautiful. And you can find them uh, on Instagram, Gibran Lebanese Cuisine. You check them out. It's, uh, how do you say it? It's the real McCoy. How do you say it? What's the saying? <laughs> well, the, the McCoy? The real McCoy. The real McCoy. Yeah, definitely. It's the real McCoy. Thank <laughs> yeah. you very much. Cheers, mate. Thank Cheers. you.